Right. This is Back to Being. I'm Dr. Marwin. Today, my guest is Dr. Leyland Stillman. Dr. Stillman is a board-certified doctor in internal medicine and specializes in natural and integrative medicine. He majored in environmental health at Connecticut College and went on to earn his medical doctorate from the University of Virginia School of Medicine. He completed his training in internal medicine at Maine Medical Center. Dr. Stillman became interested in natural and integrated medicine at an early age. He has passion for doing whatever it takes to discover the root cause of his patient's medical problems. He focuses not only on the patient, but upon all aspects of the environment they live in. He has a particular interest in phototherapy, nutrition, toxicology, and the immune system. He uses advanced laboratory testing to discover the metabolic imbalances at the root of his patient's medical problems and then addresses those imbalances with diet, lifestyle, and when when needed, medications. His ultimate practice is not to prescribe but to empower his patients to achieve optimal health. Hippocrates, the father of medicine in the West, said that the greatest medicine of all is teaching people how not to need it. This is the guiding principles of Dr. Stillman's practice. I came across Dr. Stillman earlier last month. We won a video went viral when he was talking about the coronavirus lockdown restrictions, and we'll dive into that and more and discuss how to create health from his perspective and how he helps pe- people and how he helps transform their lives in his practice. Dr. Stillman, welcome to Back to Being. Honored to have you on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I love those glosses, man. Like, tell us, I know, I know a little bit about they blocking that blue light out, but maybe people that- That's right, yeah. So these are my raw optics. <laughs> uh, for people who don't know, um, artificial light after dark shuts down your circadian rhythms. Um, but I see patients all day, so I often only have time to do podcasts after dark. So to protect my eyes from the fake light that comes out of lights and my computer screen, um, I wear these dark red tinted lenses because they maintain my circadian rhythms and allow my normal melatonin production to continue unimpeded by the artificial light. And so these are one of the main things that I actually recommend to patients in order to restore their sleep, restore their circadian rhythms, maintain their energy levels, really critical foundational stuff for health. And uh, I'm an affiliate for Raw Optics and Blue Blocks. If people want to get a discount on those, they can use code STILLMANMD. Sweet. Yeah, I think I might have to check that out myself. Yeah. And, you know, let's get right into it. So, you know, over a month ago, you were in an event. I think you were in Virginia. And you That's spoke right. about the coronavirus lockdowns, restrictions that have been in place. You questioned the proposed vaccine. You also went to say that you wouldn't call this a pandemic. Uh, I've had similar notions from the start of all this drama early in the year all the way to now. But I would like to get your perspective. Uh, why would you say quote, unquote, that we're not in a quote-unquote pandemic? Sure. So I want to start by saying that my initial blog posts on this were very much alarmed because I, you know, I've spent the last spent the last three years uh, at least part time working in hospitals all over the country, taking care of really sick people in rural America. And when I looked at the numbers coming out in the first Lancet study out of China, I thought that it was an absolute horror show. And I thought if you told me that this was going to be my mortality rate for admitting patients in a month or two, I would tell you it was the, you know, fourth horseman of the apocalypse. Hmm. And, um, I basically said in that blog post, you know, I can't figure out why these numbers are so bad because usually the communist party of China lies through their teeth to make themselves look good. So for them to be admitting that something horrible has happened in one of their cities is just not typical. I mean, think about all the horrific things that they cover up on a regular basis, like their, you know, detention camps for ethnic minorities and religious minorities. So anyway, it didn't make sense to me. Now it 
now I think there's plenty of specula- speculation as to you know how this has been used as a bioweapon or a element instrument of geopolitical strategy. And I don't want to get into the weeds on all that because I'm certainly not mm. a subject matter expert. But I watched the pandemic spread to the United States, have friends in Manhattan, New Jersey, who were telling me about how um, the pandemic was affecting them, their family, their friends, their colleagues in hospitals. I obviously watched, um, there were a lot of videos of docs in New York City talking about what they were seeing with the pandemic. And I weighed all that and thought, wow, this is really just as bad as I, I thought it was going to be. And I told my parents to stop traveling. I told them to take vitamin C and to take vitamin D and to take, you know, all these other, you know, natural remedies or whatever. And, you know, then I just, I, a lot of people challenged me in many different ways, which has been really exciting. The last eight months have been very very educational. A lot of things I thought have been overturned. A lot of conventional wisdom that's still Mm. conventional wisdom in the, even in the alternative world, you know, uh, it's been overturned for me. And then gradually as, as things progressed, I was, um, I was still doing some work at at a hospital up in Minnesota. And we were being, we were told early on in the pandemic that the estimate was that by July, a thousand people would be dying every day in the state of Minnesota. Well, last I checked, something like 2000 people had died in Minnesota and that was through the end of August. So a thousand people a day was just not, they were wildly, wildly inaccurate. Yeah. And I was also, and I, and because I've traveled all over the country, I have friends and colleagues and I mean, really all over the country. I've lived in about 10 different States over the course of my life. And I was hearing more and more from people, you know, businesses are shutting down. People are losing their jobs. They're losing their savings. They're losing their livelihoods. Their cars are up for sale. You know, this, this business just shut it doors. This place is for lease. That's places for lease. So it became clear to me that the economic damage was already starting to mount. Um, in addition to the, the social and, and psychosocial cost of people being isolated, people saying, you know, that they were more anxious and worried and miserable and all these other things that I was seeing among among people. And then, you know, we kept prepping and preparing and and thinking that everything was going to finally hit the fan at some point. It was only a matter of time. And then it was just sort of waiting month after month, after month, after month, after month for the sort of carnage to begin. And then at a certain point, I just said, okay, all these lockdowns, all of this is highly suspect because when you go back and you look at what's really going on, what they're doing is they're diagnosing people with COVID-19 based on a PCR test. The yeah. inventor of the PCR test said very clearly that if you amplify the DNA in the test enough, you can find whatever you want. And I don't want to get into the conspiracy theories about how badly this is being abused, but at the end of the day, I'm not convinced that all the positives are positives. And the other thing is when you look at the deaths, the people who have died are all really elderly, you know, nursing home patients type age, and they've all got pre-existing conditions. I know these patients have been taking care of them for years in hospitals. They're not healthy. And what I've found is if they're not going to die of the flu, they're going to die of some other virus or pneumococcal pneumonia or a stroke or this or that. And so you can vaccinate them. You can, you know, you can prop them up with whatever kind of supportive care you want, but you don't actually change their life expectancy. And then you start looking at all the 
the costs of lockdown. And I've been really interested more and more in psychology as my career has gone on. And modern medicine doesn't have good answers for hmm. the physical effects of, for example, solitude, solitary confinement, reduced social activity. But we know that it's very, very deadly. You know, children who are left unattended physically will sicken and die even when they're given adequate nutrition. Solitary confinement is considered to be so inhumane that it's actually considered a form of torture. Hmm. So, and you know, people are not in solitary confinement right now. I get that. It's, it's not a perfect equivalency. But all of these reduced touch points of human contact add up to human stress. And then there's, I mean, I could go on. One of, my, one of the most interesting things to me in my career is how people who um, are married for a long period of time very rarely survive one another for more than a matter of months to years. You know, if grandma and grandpa have been married for 50 years and grandma dies, grandpa's got like, you get ready for grandpa to go. Cause yeah. he's not sticking around having missing his other half. It's just how people I, I, I've are. I've seen really that too profound. with some people, some people I've taken yeah. care of as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's so profound uh, because it, it really shows you. And a lot of the people who come in, who've just lost a spouse and are told that they've got a terrible diagnosis like cancer are like, well, I don't really want to survive. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go be with my, you know, my beloved wherever we are after this life. So anyway, I, I just became aware of more and more of the costs of these lockdowns in what I consider to be real um, medical terms, not some wishy-washy like, oh, people's feelings are hurt. They're sad, you know, but literally, you know, let's say that when all is said and done, there are 2000 extra suicides from COVID in all age ranges. And the mean of those suicides is 35 years old. That means that there's a lot of bunch of 18 year olds who killed themselves, maybe even younger than that. Some 20 somethings, 30 somethings, 40 somethings, 50 somethings. Well, if the average, you know, fatality from COVID is a nursing home patient, but how do you, what, what is the equivalency of, you know, young suicides to the people, people who are really old in, in terms of their, um, what we are willing to bear as a society, right? Because, you know, I've seen this firsthand in, in nursing homes. I can keep people alive for very, very, very long periods of time at an extremely high cost to society. Most people do not, to be perfectly blunt, care about this cost because they're not paying it directly. They're paying it through Medicare and Medicaid, which are going bankrupt. And if they were paying it, they would be up in arms because they would say, why does it cost $50,000 a year to keep grandma alive? And we'd be like, well, grandma does not know what day it is. Grandma chokes on her food on a regular basis. Grandma gets dehydrated. Grandma, you know, has to be fed by someone else, has to be changed by someone else, has to be showered by someone else. You got to pay that somebody else. And it's a hard, dirty, difficult job. And occasionally grandma gets confused and beats up that person. So, you know, yeah, it's going to cost 50 grand to keep grandma alive. Anyway, that's really what, what really pushed me so far into preventative, integrative holistic medicine, because I just saw the way that American society was headed towards this bizarre dystopia where everyone is doped up on drugs yeah. and, um, you know, and, and like they, they go through life, like working some bizarre cubicle job that they don't even like, or being a greeter at Walmart. And then they end up on Medicare and like, there's hope, they hope their social security check pays for their dementia unit, you know, like, what's that about? So yeah. 
anyway, I just became more and more disillusioned with the narrative about COVID. And then finally I got off the fence and, and went to a protest because the health commissioner of Virginia, Norman Oliver said that he would make a COVID vaccine mandatory, which I think is insane. We have no idea, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how many cases we've truly had because I really don't trust the PCR test testing and the 200,000 people who've died. Well, you know, 200,000 people have died with COVID. I'm not convinced that 200,000 people have died of COVID right. to give you like a, an analogy to people listening you know, if you step outside for a smoke break and you get struck by lightning, I don't think it's fair to say that you died of smoking. I think you died from a lightning strike. Now, if you have a stage four pancreatic cancer patient who catches, who, who gets sick with pneumonia, shows up at the hospital, tests positive for COVID-19 and then dies, you know, is it the COVID-19 or is it the pancreatic cancer, right? right? The same guy or girl 30 years before when they were healthy doesn't die of COVID, hmm. right? So it's, it's really not fair to say that 200,000 people have died of COVID because it's really, when there's two or three preexisting conditions, these people are dying as much of COVID as they are of cheeseburgers and chili cheese, cheese fries and Slurpees and slushies and yeah. ice cream and candy and staying up late and doing drugs and drinking booze, right? And we're not banning any of those things. We're not, you know, having the police go door to door and, you know, forcing people to eat their vegetables and their carrots and their peas at gunpoint. Um, and so when the health commissioner said that he was going to mandate vaccination and, and some very prestigious medical journals have published articles since then saying this would be appropriate. Here's how you would do it. And what they basically said is we will gradually wage economic warfare on people who do not consent to vaccination mm-hmm. until they're all, they all knuckle under and consent, which is really sick, really dystopian, really Orwellian, because um, it's this it's this sort of velvet glove fascism where yeah. you don't believe what we believe, and we're not going to just you know take you out mass execution style and just kill you all, but we're going to starve your businesses. We're going to restrict your travel. We're going to increase maybe your taxes. We're going to increase the cost of doing business to you incrementally until finally you have no way to survive, let alone thrive and have a really good quality of life, but to submit to the absolute will and dominion of the state. And people are going to say, well, Dr. Stillman's being alarmist and he's being extreme and no one in government is that evil. And, you know, people said the same thing in 1939 in Nazi Germany. And look how that turned out. And I really am not comfortable giving the government that amount of power because from what I've seen, they're grossly negligent with the power that they have. When you consider the fact that the pre-existing conditions that are so dangerous for people to have when they get COVID are entirely the result of poor diet and lifestyle choices. And what does the government do for these poor, impoverished you know, poorly educated people who've been failed by government school systems that will teach them that there's more than two genders, but won't show them, you know, a basic rubric for how to cook food or what a balanced diet looks like. They give them food stamps. And what do those food stamps go to buy? Junk food and soda. And does anyone in Washington, D.C. care? No, they don't, because they funnel all of that money back into the agricultural military, pharmaceutical, industrial complex, and it comes back to the politicians in donations so that they can get reelected. Yeah. Yeah, we've been seeing this for decades, you know, and, and as you mentioned, that led it's you down been the building. path. 
Yeah, you led down a path to what yeah. you're doing in a similar way. Ten years ago, I was like, I didn't know what to do. I was searching what career to do myself, and I was like, well, yeah, I don't want to go down that route. I need to find something else, you know. So I'm glad that you know we're, I'm able to connect with you and, and hear this, uh, you know, because it gives. And I and that's one of the biggest uh, blessings blessings in disguise of this time, this Corona time. I call it Saint Corona. One of my mentors calls it uh, because we've been able to band together with you know there's. At the beginning, I thought there was hundreds and there were thousands, but I think there's thousands and thousands of doctors and specialists and p- people who are standing up just like you and I. And, you know, there's millions and millions of people. And I did, you know, and this time has really just brought us all together. I didn't realize that before that. So it's been quite amazing in that aspect. Yeah, it has been. You're right. Made a lot of cool connections in the last eight months over all this. Yeah. But, you know, with every, you know, everything you said, you know, I've seen that even when I was down in Ecuador, you know, in, in the, you know, there were some hospitals on the investigation there. And, you know, not, it's not that the people working there were bad. It's just something strange was going on. You know, and and yeah. pe- people just, everyone was confused at the beginning. <laughs> like, and this thing is not like, what bothers me is like the narrative is just, it's terrible. It's going to kill everyone. It's the end of the world. The sky is falling, stay indoors, wear a mask, yeah. you know, and like follow orders. But what what fascinates me is like, when, like, let's think about this for a minute. Okay, let's say it originates in Wuhan, China. There's lots and lots of transatlantic, transpacific travel to China. Well, and not only not to mention Europe. Well, why in the United States do New Jersey and New York have horrifically bad mortality compared to other states that have just as much out-of-state travel? Yeah. And the crazy thing is that when you think about how uh, you know, just how interconnected our economies are. I mean, a, a, a airplane full of Chinese tourists can show up in LA and be on a bus to the Grand Canyon within 24 hours, and they can be hanging out with people in Arizona. So, and when you look at the map, frankly, the map is pretty, I think it's pretty clear. Yeah. Population density creates disease and pre-existing conditions and who knows what else it, it impa- i would say it, it, people with bad immune systems are often in highly populated densely populated areas because they have no connection to nature they're on, inside all the time on tech technology surrounded by artificial electrical and magnetic fields eating fake food under fake light is a total health disaster right even the rednecks who are out there eating like chili cheese dogs and like drinking yeah you know, cheap beer. Some of them are like more robust than people who are eating a pristine diet in these highly, um, highly populated zip codes, um, you know, our major cities. And then the other thing is latitude is a huge issue. The, the higher the latitude, generally speaking, the higher the mortality from cancer. Um, there's even links to higher rates of, um, certain, uh, certainly autoimmune and many skin conditions, but you know, there's, there's arguably a latitude gradient for, um, for like uh, ocular melanoma. I can't remember this, this literature right off the top of my head, but it's, it's a much more, um, it's a much more complex interaction than just, you know, virus crosses ocean kills everyone. It's what's the environment, what's the season, what's the temperature, what's the aridity, what's the temperature. And none of this gets any traction in the, in our, in our, um, mainstream press because it doesn't right. sell like blood and guts and fear. Yeah. And that's a whole nother kind of worms in itself, the mainstream media and, you know, who's funding that and why, uh, and who's putting the stories out. Yeah. 
And that's what I, one of the things I, I mentioned to people and point out to them is when you get something, and it's well known in marketing that when you get something for free, you are the product. So like television, it's not free. No. Somebody's paying the anchor. Like, you, do you think, what do you think it costs to run a television production unit for 10 minutes? A couple grand? Those people are all highly intelligent, trained, you know, they're not working for like $10 an hour. <laughs> and the people who are paying those bills are the advertisers. If you're watching something with advertising, the advertisers are paying for the product and they're turning Americans into these obedient idiots who eat fake food under fake light, unquestioningly, unthinkingly. They disconnect from people in a genuine way. And they show up in my office and they're like, I'm depressed and I don't have any energy and I'm sad. And I now have, they're telling me I may have cancer and I need you to reinvent my life. And I'm like, yeah, take all that stuff that you spent all that money on, put it in a closet, go outside, wiggle your toes in the grass, connect to real people, eat real food that grew reasonably close to your zip code. And you're going to feel better. It's amazing. Yeah, it's not rocket science. It's almost science, astonishing right? we get paid to do this. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, I told one of my colleagues a couple of months back, like, in the reason that doctors exist, well, ones like me and you at least, is because people are lazy. And they're lazy not just in movement, but because they just don't want to find out the information to care of themselves or basically just follow what your grandma told you. You know, it's really not that complicated. Well, I also think cases. that people <laughs> realize that the amount of misinformation out there is yeah. astonishing. And, you know, I had a patient the other day who searched for the exact air filter that I wanted her to buy. And she came back to me with a link and she said, is this the one? And I said, no, it's not. And I, and I, and she said, well, I put that into Amazon. And I said, huh, well then that company must be paying for that slot on the Amazon results. I surmise, you know, I haven't talked to Jeff Bezos about this, so I don't know the truth. <laughs> But, uh, you know, like, hey, it makes sense, right? If you could bribe your way up the Amazon rankings, you could make a lot of money. Yeah. We, know that, we know that this is a pay-to-play game because search engines are free. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You know, like when we look at the statistics from, you know, you mentioned, you alluded to a little bit already. Like you look at the CDC just recently, they came out with like, you know, the uh, fatality rate. And if you, re- mm-hmm. if you look at the inverse of that, the survival rate, it's above mm-hmm. 99.9%. Right. You know, and why do you think we have these lockdowns, restrictions? You did mention it already uh, in some aspects. You know, what's, what's really going on here? And yeah, and, even, and you know, even and, with this information, why are we still, you know, some countries have less of a death rate, less of an infection rate, but they have even crazier restrictions and lockdowns. Like, I what know. What is going on? You know? <laughs> and Sweden is like the really inconvenient example of what's happening <laughs> when you don't have a lockdown. There is a certain amount of false equivalency there, but it's, it's interesting false equivalency. It's worth mentioning. You know, people will say, oh, well, Sweden has fewer deaths. Therefore, like not locking down is, is, um, is better. And I think that the, the, the data from Sweden suggests certainly that lockdowns are, are not appropriate. Yeah. Uh, or if they are appropriate, it should be decided by, and this is another thing that really grinds my gears that we could talk about is that, you know, why is all of this happening based on governor edicts and executive orders and president executive orders. It's a representative Republic. The representatives are supposed to debate. We've had eight months to decide what to do and pass legislation that can then be approved or disapproved by governors and can then be struck down or upheld by courts. 
it's almost like we're being inculcated into believing that governors and presidents are the ones with all the power, yeah. which is very, you know, reminiscent of monarchy, which we no longer have. Thank God. Yeah. But uh, I digress. Um, what were we talking about? Yeah, no, I was just talking about like why we have these crazy restrictions in the first place. And yeah, know, right. What you, what yeah. In Sweden. About, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, they have lower rates of, um, of many of the preexisting conditions that would lead to worse outcomes um, and we, than we do. And so it would suggest that they were going to have a lower death rate anyway. What's funny is people then will make the same false equivalency and they say, oh, well, they have a socialized medical system and they have lower, you know, <laughs> preexisting conditions. Therefore, we should socialize our medical care. I'm like, yeah, hang on. They're not subsidizing the production of hundreds of billions of tons of soy and corn and wheat and other commodity crops that get turned into junk food and soda that their populace can then buy with food stamps. <laughs> You know, they yeah. still eat like cabbages and salmon and Brussels sprouts and all kinds of healthy things. So yeah, anyway. that's, yeah that's true. You know, it's, that's it's, just it, another example of how the media lies. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so, you know, the thing that it's not funny, but it, it's, it's, it's very annoying to me. And I'm sure you can test it as too. Like it's just blatantly in our face. Yeah. And, it's and so people, blatant. And people still can't see it. And, you know, I know my job is to, you know, love people and take care of them. But, you know, it's something that has to happen higher up that, that needs to change this as well. Uh, it's only, you know, because it's getting, it's gone at this point, it's a bit ridiculous. Absolutely. Yeah. And people really need to exert their power and, and, and take their, take the power away from the mainstream media and allow it and empower other people to replace them. Because, you know, the, the way that the media portrays all this, is not serving any, anyone but the people who are making money off of the pandemic. I don't even like to call it that, but yeah, you know, whatever you want to call it, the current excitement, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and they don't, they don't, then they're, then they're like, Oh, well, these like conspiracy theorists like Dr. Stillman think that we're on the take. And I'm like, well, you know, your advertisers are, are selling people stuff that makes them sick. So maybe you have a vested interest in them not being healthy. Yeah, it's plausible. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like I did disclose that I'm an affiliate for the blue blockers that I'm selling you, but I'm also wearing them right now. <laughs> yeah. So you're not, you're not contradicting yourself. <laughs> yeah. I mean like, you know, the I got to get congruent. paid and I spent a <laughs> lot of money vetting products. So, you know, I'm not going to like apologize for that. No, uh, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, if, if, if only I could live my life as a charitable organization, I've actually considered doing that, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, you know, I joke about this with uh, friends of mine that, you know, if we will, we need to become more financially free because then we can take care, take care of everyone in abundance. Yeah, for, for, absolutely. For no, no income. So that's the, that's the long-term plan. But, you know, in the short term, we've got to keep what we have in place. But as far, yeah, as, as, far as our practices go, but yeah, who knows in the future? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You never know. Yeah, so, you know, with the, you know, just rounding up this discussion on, on this particular topic, then we'll get to some other interesting yeah. things like you know what do you think about the potential COVID-19 vaccine you know over the last decade I've come across some interesting information to disturbing information to seeing yeah. people firsthand in my office uh, you know having adverse reactions right uh, do you think it's a good idea or not in your opinion so you know I can't really render an opinion on a therapeutic that does not yet exist Right. Right. But let's go back to history. Let's ask questions about what happened before. And a great example, this would be the 1976 swine flu pandemic, where I don't remember the exactly how many people died or what the case fatality rate was or whatever. But 
a lot of people were sick from a swine flu. And so we rushed to market a vaccine. There was a big effort. You can go see uh, pictures of, I think it's Gerald Ford. Um, I think it was him getting vaccinated and it's like this big deal because the president's doing it. So everybody else ought to do it because it's patriotic. And um, anyway, something like 400 people ended up dying of something called Guillain-Barre syndrome, which was linked to administration of the vaccine. And this remains controversial among some experts. But at the end of the day, vaccines contain very powerful immunomodulators, things that are going to change how your immune system responds to things. And so there is plenty of evidence and anecdote where linking basically cases of diseases of autoimmune provenance, whatever you want to call it, mechanism to vaccination. And if you don't believe me, you know, there's a national vaccine injury court where the government awards people for uh, basically the government pays the settlements for people who've been injured by vaccines. And it's something like $4.5 billion has been awarded since it was instituted around the year I was born, 1988. Yeah. Right. And you have to imagine like there's 4.5 billion that's been awarded and it's been like 8,800 defendants. That's a lot of money per person. I mean, a lot Hmm. of money per person. Uh, because these are not small injuries. It's not like, oh, you know, I had a boo-boo on my arm. You can't just like hit them up for 20 bucks. It's like my child is permanently brain damaged and I'm, I'm going to be changing their diapers for the rest of their short, difficult life. And they were healthy before the vaccine, right? So these things do happen. So there's going to be a certain complication rate to the vaccines. And I don't know what this one's going to be because I don't have Mm. a crystal ball. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the whole premise of, of representative democracy and the whole premise of freedom and liberty being something that's good and important and something we should, I mean, like, look at these posers who are like running on platforms of freedom and liberty and like using these words and then ha- having this sort of backstage political plan where it's like, well, you don't get to keep your doctor and, you know, we're going to make it so expensive for, you know, your employer to keep their doors open that they'll, they'll close down and you'll be a greeter at Walmart and you'll get whatever you can. Um, but anyway, I can't say what the complication rate is going to be. And nobody can know that ahead of time. They can only sort of say, okay, well, this is what happened over six months and the 6,000 or 60,000, whatever thousand volunteers we, we did this on compared to this placebo, which may or may not actually just be sterile water. It may actually, it may be something more. It may be, you know, the adjuvants or this or the that or whatever. And so it's a risk. We don't know what the risk is. And because we don't know what the risk is, we have to ask, okay, what's the other side of this equation? The benefit. The benefit would be not arguably having a less severe or no uh, severity of illness of COVID-19. Well, you know, it's pretty clear that young people, healthy people might get it, but we don't die. Right. And we recover, presumably. I've had some friends who've had it and they say it's nasty and really unpleasant, but they get over it, especially if they use you know, the right holistic natural therapies, which is a whole other ball of wax. Um, but the idea that the government is going to take this choice away from us is insane. It would be like them saying, well, you know, you've had a lot of fun riding around in your cars, but it turns out we can drop vehicular deaths from 30,000 or whatever they are every year to 5,000 per year. If we, you know, force you all to take buses and subways. So we're going to, you know, levy a tax and we're going to take all your gas money and we're going to use it to build this infrastructure and you all get to take, you know, 
the train and you all get to take the bus and you're welcome. Nobody would vote for that. I mean, nobody would vote for that ever. And so, (laughs) you know, it's like, I can go skydiving. I can buy a gun. I can buy a bow. I can buy the, you know, like chemicals down at the hardware store to mix up like highly explosive chemicals and methamphetamines. Like I can do all this stuff. Right. But I can't decide not to get an injectable medication. That's, you know, at a certain point you're saying, okay, you're appointing yourselves the dictators of morality. And where does that end? Yeah. That's the big question, right? Where does what's next? Right? They, they, they step on one freedom. What's the next thing they're going to do? And exactly. that's, that's the slippery slope that that's what I'm really concerned about. It's yes. You know, medical freedom, the right to choose what we put in our bodies is it's, it's, it's paramount for me. And you obviously, have, you know, people that take care of people, right. Kind of, kind of important. It's questions we probably get all the time. Yeah. Uh, but then where does that go to? Right. Because, right. you know, I came to this country and I came from the UK, so, you know, it wasn't that bad. I migrated to the United States and, you know, it's a land of free home of the brave. Uh, you know, it's got right. the constitution in my, in my opinion, is one of the most magnificent documents ever written, if not the most magnificent in political, Thanks. in recorded history. Maybe there's more that was hidden from us. I don't know, but in recorded history, it's, it's probably up there the best. <laughs> now you're getting out there. <laughs> Let me go get my tinfoil hat. <laughs> but, you know, so it's, I never thought we'd be at this point today where we would be having our freedoms challenged. And, but, you know, here we are. I knew it was going to happen. I just didn't know when. Right. And they're really accelerating the pace at which they're trying to take these freedoms away. And it's more and more unhinged from the reality because there, if, you know, the reality is like, if there's a, you know, 0.04% chance of somebody dying. And if you're young and healthy, it's a 0.00001% chance of dying. And you're mandating this treatment, you know, like why, 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 just why? And then you get into all the very dark potential police state implications of this, because the simple reality is that the federal government, you know, hasn't been honorable or honest with us about a lot of things. They've mm-hmm. done some very dark, very disturbing things. They're continuing to do these things. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, subsidizing junk food and soda is basically sociopathic. Yeah. I mean, there's absolutely. no good reason at all to allow food stamps to buy junk food and soda. Yeah. You can easily feed a family on really healthy, nutritious nutrient dense food like whole grains and beans and lentils and legumes. And then, you know, you can do things like you can grow your own fresh fruits and vegetables in your backyard. There's no incentive for people to do that. Like they actually took away the seeds, right? Earlier this year, you couldn't buy seeds in some places. I didn't hear about that. Yeah. That was kind of, that's kind of weird. Like, (laughs) yeah. And that's the other thing is that if they, if there's technologies out there like Monsanto has that they can have seeds that don't regenerate themselves. Well, if you get a country hooked on that seed and it's agricultural production is, is linked to it, then you're creating a monopoly for a biotechnology company on food production in that country. They're very, these are very dark things that we, we don't want to go down these roads. We don't want right. to create all these dependencies upon, you know, uh, upon corporations who have no accountability to the people. And so the idea of giving the government more and more control over who we are and where we are. And I just saw this crazy Facebook video that I, I, you know, think is probably real and I'm worried is real. And 
wish wasn't. Yeah. Somebody looking at a at a surgical mask and detecting an RFID chip in it using their phone. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, and I know that you know, like I, I've been in how many hospitals with these little badges? They're super thin, hmm. and there's an RFID chip in there, and I can get through this door and that door and whatever. And you walk around the street today, and you see these cell phone towers that are not fifty or sixty feet away from you, really yeah. close. It's very easy. It would be very easy for the government to begin tracking our every movement and using things like vaccination to track people because we're talking about implantable RFID chip technology. It's it's I actually had a I had a crazy friend who actually put in a radio frequency chip. He didn't ever ask me for my medical opinion because I would have told him not to do this just to be clear with people. But he actually he, he opened his hand up with just his pocket knife and he implanted an RFID chip so that he could just wave his hand over his garage door and open <laughs> it. And he thought this was like the coolest thing ever. And I thought he was nuts. But the point is this, like implantable radio frequency technology is real. And if you're forcing people to get this and you're tying their economic activity to it, you're creating the perfect situation for a police state where the government can just take your rights and make you disappear without any explanation without any accountability. And that yeah. is very dark, very scary. Yeah. You know, I hope we don't get there. And I, you know, I always have, uh, have good uh, uh, faith in humanity that there are enough people that wouldn't stand for, would stand against something like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, most notably the, whatever, I don't know how many gun owners there are in America, but I know there's like 300 oh, yeah. million guns. So, and then, I mean, there's more new gun owners now that, yeah, Probably record sales ever, this year. Ever, yeah. But it's not just new gun sales because people who own guns, you know, the, you know, the joke about how many guns you have. No, I mean, I know this is a Brit. Okay, so it's um, you ask somebody how many guns do you have, and they say, well, more than I need and not as many as I want. Because everyone who's into guns is like, oh man, yeah, I really want to get that other one. And yeah. people kind of make fun of them because they're like, well, you know, why do you need all those guns? And you're like, well, listen, it's like a tool. It's like you look at a guy's toolbox and be like, why can't you just do all that with a hammer and like a hand hand drill or a, or a screwdriver? It's like, listen, there's a lot more to life than just like screwing in screws and like banging in nails There's way more you might want to do. And the same thing with guns, but there's more new gun owners now than almost ever in history. Cause and this is kind of ironic. Like the, um, the, the left and of the political island were very upset about, you know, the police brutality, uh, events yeah. over the last six months, a lot of them went out and bought guns. And they said, we don't, we want to be able to defend ourselves. We want to be able to defend our homes. We want to be able to fight back against what we view as tyranny, which is ir deeply ironic because <laughs> a lot of them are voting for people who want to take away the guns that they just bought. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and then the right has only gotten more and more, you know, entrenched in its, in its opinions. And there's more and more independents too, who've been like, oh my gosh, these people on both sides of the aisle are totally nuts. I better be able to like, you know, defend myself and my community and my, <laughs> um, yeah. and my property, especially as the police step back. And that's another big, really interesting development in the last six months. Cause I have a lot of you know, friends, patients, contacts on, right. on police forces. Absolutely. The crime is skyrocketing because the police feel like if, if they, if they prosecute criminals and arrest them and do their job, what they would describe as their job, they're going to get, they're putting themselves in danger of the mob, not yeah. to mention very 
you know, prosecutors who want to be, who want to play, who want to play politics and look good. Um, and so they're just not doing their jobs. They're not going to dangerous neighborhoods. They're not policing violent crime. They're not responding quickly. Um, they're not, you know, randomly stopping and searching people, which I don't agree with anyway, but you get the idea. Yeah. Um, yeah I know what you mean. And so the rising rates of crime are also fueling uh, gun ownership. And then of course, there's also an ammo, a remarkable ammo shortage because everyone's buying ammo. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it really comes down to what, you know, this it's a psychological aspect to all of this. It's, uh, you know, I, I say we're in a, some kind, we're in a psychological warfare and you know, this does relate it to health big time. Yeah. This is yeah. a big time in relation to health, mental, physical, spiritual, emotional health, a right. psychological aspect. And as you mentioned, it doesn't matter where anyone stands politically, where they stand in their profession, in their career, their vocation, young or old, everyone's affected by what's going on. And it's creating all kinds of weird, adverse situations that we we need to really help people with and move beyond because it's not going to end up in the right direction. If yeah, I agree, and there needs to be a return to civil discourse and an understanding that you know if there's a give and take and, and a compromise. Um, what I th- think is challenging to a lot of people, particularly on the right today, is they feel like they've been trying to compromise for the last like 225 years. People have been saying, no, the Constitution just doesn't mean what you thought it meant and what they meant it to mean in 1780, <laughs> whatever. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. But, you know, one thing's for sure we can't, I mean, we, basically the, the we cannot allow for a government that's as corrupt as ours has been and a media that's as incredibly um, partisan is the wrong word. Corrupt is really what it is uh, to continue to control the narrative. Yeah. And that's why, why, yeah. 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 Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, at the end of the day, the average American can just look around. Are they healthier, happier, wealthier, smarter, stronger, faster, better off than their ancestors a hundred years ago. Sure. A hundred years ago, there was some problems with tuberculosis and, you know, dying of things like sepsis from routine bacterial infections that we can now treat with antibiotics. But the reality is none of those things have to go away. We can maintain all of that progress without having a society that is obese, diabetic, demented, I mean, these are problems that can be prevented. Many of them can, can be cured. And we have a government and a media complex that's creating an environment where these diseases skyrocket in prevalence and severity. And then they say, well, we don't really know what's going on. Well, if your gardener came to you after like three years of you paying him and was like, yeah, you know, your garden looks worse than ever. The, the like grass is growing above my knees and you're, Ivy is taking over your walls and is like crumbling your mortar into dust and the hedges have grown up all over the windows. But I think you should really keep paying me to do your garden. You'd be like, no, thanks. I'll pay somebody else. And that's, you know, the main thing is we need to have new people, new, new politicians and a completely new system of media and information because what we have is totally dysfunctional. Yeah. And yeah, it's happening everywhere in the world. It's a, it's, it's like, you know, when it, it's kind of like when you see the same pattern everywhere, you know, something is up like yep. that's, that's not random at all. Like, how can it be the exact same news story, the exact same words, maybe the language change, but the exact same. Have words. you seen those, those, <laughs> yeah. People who haven't seen this need to go out and look up the, like the, 
the videos where they'll take like seven different news teams from like all over the country and they'll synchronize what they're saying and they're all saying the exact yeah. same thing. My yeah. favorite was when they did it with like, they were saying that fake news was a threat to their democracy. And you have like <laughs> 30 news stations, completely different anchors, completely different places. They're all saying this, these new media outlets are a threat to our democracy. It's like <laughs> just so yeah. funny. Yeah, and that's why, you know, there's so many people doing what we're doing right now. It's, uh, you know, podcasting, creating new mediums of communication to get information out because people yeah, exactly. are looking for new, looking at, for new resources. Right. Um, because, you know, the, the irony is like just the blue blockers that I'm wearing, you know, which admittedly I make money off of. But I use them to get my sleep back after I finish training. I was waking up two to five times a night. You uh, could watch a mainstream media network for the next six months nonstop, never hear about these. And that's where people, that's why people are jumping ship on the legacy media because yeah. they're not being informed of what actually makes a difference in their life. And that's why the legacy media is busy, you know, shrieking from the rooftops about how dangerous we are. It's because yeah. we are basically the dynamite to their business model. Yep. We're telling people what actually matters. The irony of this is like, I've got a lot of numbers off the top of my head that make this whole thing look like a farce. And, <clears throat> you know, you would never hear the side of the story from the legacy media because they just don't want to talk about it. But at the end of the day, guess what? I've been practicing nonstop in two different states for the last 10, 12 months. I've seen three positive COVID-19 mm. tests. Uh, one of them was a false positive. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is it out there? Is it hurting people? Sure. Yeah. Like, do, do, is, do we need all this fear mongering about it? No. No. Yeah. Even when I was in Ecuador, you know, we were shut down for two months, unfortunately. It wasn't really in our mm -hmm. hands, but when we did get back open, uh, so, you know, one of my patients came in and said, oh yeah, I had COVID. And he was like, you know, he said, this was nothing compared to dengue. I had that before. And, you know, <laughs> and People in the third world can really keep it real. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's really hard to like pull the wool over their eyes. Right. And, you know, unfortunately, they don't have as many independent news medias or podcasts or content sure. creators like we do in the, in the Western countries. There's, there's more and more coming. That's what I realized because over there, oh my goodness, like people are so, so in fear. I mean, they are here in the States too. When I came back here, I felt... Like it's a different world, even though it was weird with all the restrictions and masks and everything compared to there, it was like way more better. But over there, it's like a whole nother level of like restrictions, lockdown, fear. It's absurd. Really? It was worse in Ecuador than here. Yeah. And many of Latin America, even other parts of the world, because they just don't know. All they see is the mainstream. The mainstream is the same everywhere. Mainstream That's media. fascinating. Yeah. And I found, so, you know, I realized why I was there after this all started, I was like, you know, I've been called here to help these people the best I can before I come back and uh, just, you know, empower people the best I can. And I think yeah. many, and many people did realize, even people, I, when I traveled around a bit, uh, you know, I guess you're not supposed to, but I did anyways, right? I mean, I wasn't afraid. Uh, cause you know, oh, you know, but many people did are aware, but they're just afraid to speak. Uh, so, but yeah. There are a lot of people who are like, you know, after, especially after like five, six months, you got to be like, what's, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, obviously, yeah, we want right. to, you know, take care of people need to be taken care of, have sure. whatever they need to do, but 
the overall sure. perspective, people are like, okay, I'm, what's going on? <laughs> right. And why aren't the legislatures in session hammering out legislation saying, okay, so and so many people have died. This many businesses have been shut down. This has been the cost of the lockdown. You know, this is how many lives we think we'll save with this plan or that plan or whatever. There's none of that. It's just yeah. shut up, get in line, you know, yeah. How dare you? You you hate grandma because you're a mean person who wants to open up the world. Right. Sick. It's really yeah, sick. You, you may have seen this. It was just a week or two ago. The Great Barrington uh, something declaration. Yeah. Declaration. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that? You know, there was a there was a professor and from Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford mm-hmm. who led it, and there were doctors and scientists from many different places around the country and world. Basically, they came to the conclusion that we need to open everything back up. And those who are like vulnerable or in, you know, in the, have their pre-existing conditions need to be protected, but everything else needs to go back to normal. Yeah. And I agree. And yeah. it's, and I, I think I heard that it got sh- basically that, that whole, that thing circulating on social media got just totally shut down. Yeah, definitely. Maybe we'll have to sit down with them soon. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it'd be really fun is if instead of having, you know, Donald Trump and Joe Biden debate, we had, uh, we had, <laughs> had some medical experts get up and have some actual debates yeah i think that yeah i think people want to see that more than ever right now because there is mass confusion yeah global scale as far as what do we do with our health how do we take care of ourselves right having said you know as we're on this you know we can you know what would what would you say like uh is it i want to get into how you take care of people but just a thought came to my mind as we're talking about this like you know what is it more important that we focus on the strength of a virus or is it more important to focus on the strength of the host? Much more important to focus on the strength of the host. Cause without that, anything can get through and ruin your, your life. And you know, we're surrounded by viruses. We're surrounded by fungi, bacteria, all these microbes. They don't create problems in young, healthy people. And this really their manifestations are, dependent upon in large part the environment you know we know this about infectious diseases they follow these patterns in seasonality they have different courses in people who are differently nourished different age groups different comorbidities and so on and so forth and no one wants to talk about these fundamental determinants of health but that's why i it's really why I have social media channels. I'm trying to teach people how to be healthy before they even get to my office. Because quite frankly, the pedantics of explaining to them like, yes, you really need to stop eating that processed food that is called food that I consider garbage. Please buy whole natural, healthy you know, food that's close to what it looked like in nature that your grandmother would recognize. Um, that's not the fun part of my job. The fun part of my job is, Hey, we got these really cool lab tests back and they tell us exactly what you ought to eat. Or they really show us that your mercury levels are off the chart or that your um, cell membranes are completely imbalanced in terms of your fatty acid intake, or that you have this deficiency or that deficiency, right? Anyway, it all starts in the environment. You have to get people into a healthy environment. It's not any different from your garden. If you go out into your garden and you spread bad seed and you, you know, or you, or you dump acid or base, or if you were to pour bleach on your garden, or if you were to salt your soil, any of these things would destroy the fertility of the ground. It's not any different with a human body. 
you create the conditions for disease, disease will manifest. It doesn't matter if it's this bacteria or that bacteria, this fungus or that fungus, it's just going to happen. The fundamentals of the environment are really um, people have always gravitated towards eating a healthy diet. And we're the only, I like to point out to people that we're the only animal on planet earth that eats a non-local non-seasonal diet and is smart enough to argue about what to eat and then like be mean to one another about it, which I think is even sadder. Everything else on planet earth eats eats a local seasonal diet. And all these people who are like, Oh, the so-and-so are so healthy. And oh, the such and such are so healthy. Right. You can point to these extremely healthy populations of people living very simple lives and this is the real irony to me of socialized medicine. People go, like, oh, we have to socialize medicine to take care of everyone. I'm like, hang on a minute. Did you know that the healthiest people on planet earth are the poorest? They That's spend true. the least amount of money on their care and they have the most vibrant, robust health. It's these people who like live off of the land and just, and it's sort of, there's actually, it's actually a joke in med, in, in med schools and hospitals. It's like, oh, a farmer's coming in well, they must be really close to death because those guys are so tough. They never come into the doctor and you'll, you'll find these people in the, the, the 80, 90 year olds. It's always a pretty similar story. They're a pretty happy person. They're very connected to their community and the, lo, their loved ones they have a positive outlook on life. They eat a reasonable diet. They don't have any kind of extreme, you know, dietary patterns. Uh, they got exercise. They spent time outside. They led, in these sort of, well, we used to be what used to be very typical lives. Yeah. Um, as we've gotten further and further away from that, uh, people have just gotten sicker. And so I focus on getting my patients back into a reasonably natural environment, maximizing the amount of natural light they're using versus fake light, maximizing darkness at night, or at least low color temperature lights with low amounts of blue and green light, minimizing their exposure to wireless radiation, which can really have a profound impact on how they operate. Uh, Local seasonal dietary templates are something that I talk about, but often people have very different nutritional needs from that. And we are fundamentally a mammal that kind of like, you know, if if without any kind of technology, we really only can survive in the tropics and the subtropics. And once we get out of that range, we're too, we, we can get cold too easily. We're the only animal that doesn't have a lot of fur that lives outside <laughs> the subtropics, it's true. right? So, yeah. you know, you do get problems with things like low vitamin C levels um, and other low water soluble uh, vitamins, B vitamins, over long periods of time in extremely cold environments. But there's still a local seasonal component. And there are ways around that. Like, for example, people who live in high latitudes who I work with um, who don't feel like eating citrus in the winter, I'll tell them that they have to have a serving of lacto-fermented vegetables because it's another source of vitamin C in the winter months. Anyway, so uh, other things, air quality, water quality, doing a lot of detective work on figuring out, you know, are they living in a moldy building? Is there an electromagnetic radiation source in their life that they're not aware of? which can be really difficult to diagnose. And you basically just need to do some testing in order to figure it out. And as you, as you peel back the layers of this onion of, okay, well, you get your water figured out and you got your air quality figured out. We're sure that you're not living in a moldy building. We're sure that you 
are eating healthy, wholesome food, then you also get into more advanced nutritional and, and, and toxin testing and seeing, okay, well, what's your mercury level? What's your lead level? Um, what's your, uh, your, what are your B vitamin markers? Do you have enough vitamin A running around in your bloodstream? All of these things, you know, gradually we, we work up and as they make, you know, the changes, the issues tend to fall, fall away, fall off, uh, one at a time, or sometimes more than one at a time, because, you know, they're almost always in some kind of, there's always, always a significant imbalance in the way that they're living that they were not aware of that is not spoken of or discussed in the mainstream media or popular consciousness of health, Mm. because everyone in those industries is not making any money getting people healthy. They're making money selling products. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I couldn't agree with you more and, you know, it's very well articulated Thanks. And, you know, as we are in the late hours here in this evening, yeah. I'm going to ask you, like, what keeps you up at night? I sleep like a baby. <laughs> I love that response. <laughs> I sleep like a baby because I'm a heavily armed, red-blooded American man. That's the truth. I love it. Yeah. You know, we, we, I think uh, and that's been under attack too. You know, I always joke about that. Like, you know, you know uh, men are becoming women and women become men. You know, I'll probably get in trouble for saying that, but... You know, there is a, there's some, you know, we have to be, we have to be who we are, right? And that's different for everyone. I know that. Uh, right. How we express that innately is different for every single person. I'm not against that, but yeah, just being a red, cold blooded American man, you know, there's not that many yep. of them left. So maybe that's the key to being healthy. <laughs> <laughs> we like to think we're making a comeback. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, there's really actually, I think a resurgence of people saying, Hmm, these traditional values really rock because people feel well, when they embrace them. And there's also a significant psychological component to what I do with people, um, which is why I'm not afraid to be pretty much overtly political in, in the content that I put out, because what I, I, I see increasingly is there's a culture of victimhood and, mm-hmm. and a disability mentality on the left. And they say, I can't be healthy without a government program. I can't feed myself without food stamps or these other people can't do these things without the government's help. These people can't think for themselves, can't be trusted with decisions about their own health and well-being. certainly can't be dis- trusted with decisions about my health and well-being. We have to trust these experts over here who have all these flagrant conflicts of interests that are incredibly obvious and not even hidden from very well from public view. We have to trust those people to tell us what to do because they're wearing these fancy white coats and they have lots of fancy wallpaper in their offices that prove that they went to school for a really long time. And somehow this makes them the people for us to listen to, right? That's the current like framework on the left. And I find it deeply ironic when they come back to me and they say, well, yes, but Donald Trump is a mean man who we say did a lot of corrupt things. And I'm like, yeah, but everybody in power in Washington has been doing corrupt things for as long as I've been alive and longer. And I only need to look at the text of the farm bill to know that. I know that because they keep feeding minorities and sick people food that is not really food. It's toxic waste. It's soda and junk food. And they could feed. It's directly, you know, there's no, there's no, I have no doubt about what you're saying because I've looked into that too. It's, it's a direct correlation. Exactly what you're saying. It's, it's like, it's, it's like an agenda towards it. It's absolutely an agenda because when you give the people 
free stuff that they like, they will continue to come out and vote for you. And, you know, as the public has gotten more and more nutritionally deficient and dumbed down by fake light, they're less and less capable of critical thinking. This and is so they're, then they're manipulable with simpler and simpler and simpler devices, such as repetition, which is why the mainstream media is so repetitive. I mean, it's like every day is the same headline, just yeah. slightly different words. Right. I don't even watch it because uh, I already know what's on it. I don't need to watch it. I, I can tell you what they're going to say. <laughs> like, I know. I, <laughs> I This pandemic made me kind of tune back into it out of curiosity because I really thought, you know, I need to know what they're saying because right. I'm coming out really aggressively against their agenda and saying that they're a bunch of shameless liars and charlatans who no one should be listening to who wants to lead a healthy life or achieve yeah. wealth and true well-being. Because if there's anything I think my patients need to tune out, it's the mainstream media. They're not helping them make money so that they can pay their bills. They're not helping them achieve good health. They're not helping them create an optimistic, healthy, positive mindset so that they can, you know, attend to their their emotional well-being and love people in their lives and be, you know, loving and 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 connected and empathetic people. So, um, and on the right, there's a, gr- a growing mentality of we should still have our rights no matter how many people are dying we should still have the authority to think for ourselves we shouldn't be censored we shouldn't be policed we should be able to say controversial things and have those statements tolerated maybe not coddled maybe not promoted but at least tolerated and you know have a civil discussion about the the merits and the and the um flaws of different arguments right um, yeah. not, not to mention, obviously, our basic rights to, to medical freedom. And uh, that's, I can't work with people who are not willing to accept responsibility for the choices that they've made and who are not willing to say, I own my future, no matter what somebody else says I'm doomed to, or no matter what somebody else says I ought to do. I'm going to make my own decisions, I'm going to think for myself, and I'm going to uh, control my destiny and create my own future. Absolutely. You know, I, I work a lot with people with their physical health, obviously, as a chiropractor, yeah. but also diving into the mental aspect. And one of the first things I yeah. teach them is who's responsible for your health and your life. And if, you know, they, if, they, don't, if they don't answer it to themselves, well, then they're not a right fit for my office. Absolutely. Otherwise, I can't help you. You know, it's a partnership. It's not, right. I'm going to do something to you. No, you have to take care of yourself outside of here, too. I can't be with you at home. I'm not babysitting you. <laughs> and there is a real psychology to the number one complaint that chiropractors treat, which is back and neck pain, where, you know, people have pain in these areas for deeply emotional, deeply psychological reasons. Absolutely. There may yeah, be structural connected. abnormalities. Yeah, exactly. And people will say, well, oh, well, you know, how can you say that when, you know, Dr. Bandery, you know, adjusts my spine and I feel better? And I say, yeah, but that adjustment he's making and the interaction you're having with him have emotional ramifications. His empathy and compassion for you create a neurochemical change in your brain that changes your pain signaling pathways. And if he does that just right, it doesn't matter how he cracks your spine, you're going to feel better. And that's fine. That's good. You know, I think there's yeah. a sad tradition in conventional medical thinking that we shouldn't be harnessing the the placebo effect, but we ought to absolutely harness that placebo effect and ride it as hard as we can. Cause <laughs> the job is not to like, you know, 
follow the textbook. It's to get the patient better. Yeah. And, you know, every person is different. So you can't, it's not textbook in my experience. No and, way. And, uh, you know, I always tell people, you know, you heal yourself. I'm just a facilitator. Right, and that's well, another so. reason why, you know, the people have asked me, many people have asked me what I think about hydroxychloroquine or this treatment or that treatment for COVID. Yeah. And it's always, my answer is always the same. Well, you know, what's your unique individual biochemistry? Uh, somebody asked me the other day if I would prescribe them hydroxychloroquine if, if they got COVID. And I think in a pinch I would, but I said, look, I want to get this test on you. That's in my opinion, the best test of what your folate status is. Cause I would be concerned that I might use this drug in somebody who had a folate deficiency and make them worse. That's the way I practice is I want to individualize everything. If I'm giving you yeah. something, I I'm doing it because I think you have a level that's low and you need more of it. And, and I document that. Yeah. No, I love that. You know, I think it's uh, very important that, you know, we get to the root causes that we individualize the care because a one size fits all, as you mentioned, like socialized, you know, I, I you know, I think I come from the UK where we do have socialized healthcare. And, you know, some people wait for like six months to get a procedure done when it's like, and they right. won't go for alternative. Uh, well, you know, they're not really alternative. They're, I hate, I don't really like that term because it's just different types I know. of care. We're not alternative. We are <laughs> just different. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think, at some point in our life, the tables are going to turn where people come to people like me and you first because they want to simply just take care of themselves and live an abundant, vital lifestyle rather than waiting till disaster hits. Uh, but, you know, they, they won't go for the alternative cares because it's not covered by the socialized medicine or healthcare because they have to pay out of pocket. And right. I'm like, well, you know, you might avoid that surgery if you go down this route. But no, no, I want to absolutely because it's covered by the government. It's like, wow. I know. It's insane. And you know, I just became so disillusioned with surgical solutions to medical problems in the course of my career because they kept saying, well, we can do this surgery, we can do that surgery, we can do this surgery, we can do that surgery. We got all these surgeries. I'm like, okay, great. But I just didn't see the people coming into the hospital and saying, oh man, that surgery just fixed my life. Did I see people get better? Yeah. Did I see them have relief of pain and terrible crippling symptoms? Yes. What really astonished me about that though is the is how unreproducible it was. You mm. get like two people with the same symptoms, same disease, same procedure, totally different outcome. And when you look at the anecdotes about placebo um, surgeries, there's an incredible placebo effect that comes along with the surgery because the surgery is this big thing. There's this, all this, all this emotion, all this effort, all this cost goes into it. And all of that creates a more powerful placebo effect in the patient's mind. And yeah, these socialized systems, that's the, that's the way that they're really trying to take away, you know, non-mainstream. I don't even want to say non-mainstream, but that's the way that they're really trying to create a true medical monopoly is through socialized yeah. medicine. And what they're going to, they're going to say, Oh, well, we're going to fund this and you're going to be able to see your homeopath or whatever. And then they'll just roll out a bunch of plans and a bunch of legislation where your homeopath can't pay their rent on what they're reimbursing them. So then how can they possibly operate? I mean, socialized medicine is truly like the, the Trojan horse to destroy any kind of independent thought in medicine. It will all be controlled from the top down centralized system with, you know, a, a very few elite physicians at the top who are all totally brainwashed telling mm. everybody else what to do. And it would be yeah. horrible, but Absolutely. they would, they would continue. They would maintain that it was great because Nobody was better than that because nobody had the opportunity to rise above it. 
Yeah, no, that's a that's a recipe for disaster. That yeah. you know, and while I am on this earth, and I'm sure you and many of our colleagues, we won't stand for that at all, uh, because we know we've right. seen firsthand. I've seen firsthand what that can do, and I don't think it's the way yeah. to go. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think anyone can, in good conscience, be voting for socialist agendas and yet want natural medical care because they're truly voting for a political system that will make it economically impossible for people like you and I to remain in business. I mean, I've really looked at the numbers and I've thought, okay, if the economy goes down by this much and I'm deprived of these freedoms in the way I practice, or I have this many more costs because the government says that I have to do this or that, the other thing or whatever, well, then I won't be able to practice the way that I'm practicing. I'm going to have to completely change my model. And as I do that, I exclude the number of people I can treat. It's, it's not good. No, but we're not, not going to have that happen because people are totally obsessed with freedom in this country. Yeah, that's that, you know that's one of the great outliers in the world today that I you know I think a lot of people don't realize. Especially, it's strange to say that people living in the states don't realize it, but it's it's where we are. It's the fact that we have this separation of power, state and federal. We have these freedoms. It's actually keeping us afloat somewhat at the moment and giving us hope for a new direction. But other countries, they've just kind of folded in certain parts of the world and. I, we don't want to go there. No. And I think that, you know, fortunately there's, uh, uh, from what I've heard, we're locked down, but we're not really locked down. I mean, there's a lot of businesses that are open for business as usual. And particularly in places that are full of, you know, skeptics of the na- mainstream media, i.e. at this point, Trump country, there are a lot of people who are not masking at all. They're going about their day-to-day lives as if nothing else is going on. Yeah. You know, they're sort of rolling their eyes at the big cities where people are really buying into this whole thing. And to be fair, you know, the numbers in rural America are not as bad as the numbers in downtown cities, but that should really beg the question, why are people in American cities so sick? And is it a coincidence that these cities are controlled by one political party and have been for decades? Yeah, it's, it's, you're completely right. And it's, it's, I saw the same, in Latin America, in the countryside, there's like no cases, no deaths, like hardly anything. <laughs> and in the yeah. city, everything was right. centralized. And it's the same right. in the States. It's, it's, right. it's, it's a lot, there's too many coincidences and correlations to, uh, you know, we do have to beg to ask that question. It's not, it's not random at all. And people, you know, the deeper you get into this, the more you begin to realize how complex the environment is with its interactions with our immune system, right? So you live in a city, you don't think anything of it. You think, oh, I live in the city. In 30 minutes, I could be in the woods. Well, hang on a minute. You're exposed to 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times as many people. Even just all those cars driving around, they create a certain amount of smog. That smog reduces the amount of UV light that reaches the surface of the earth. That Mm -hmm. reduces the amount of UV light that hits your skin. That reduces the amount of melanocyte stimulating hormone that is released from your posterior pituitary gland. That reduces the amount of inducible nitric oxide that is expressed in your skin cells in response to ultraviolet light. It reduces the amount of vitamin D that you produce. It reduces the amount of vitamin A that is transformed into other retinoids in your skin in response to the effects of visible and ultraviolet light. It reduces the levels of hormones and neurotransmitters in your blood that run your immune system, your brain, your cognition, your behavior. It reduces the amount of then melatonin that runs around your body to renovate your cells and your molecular machinery every single night. It, you know, I could go on. That's just the light. 
I'm not even talking about how the free radicals from the car exhaust that you're inhaling change your immune system or how municipal water can be so bad. I mean, look at Flint, Michigan. People were poisoned by lead. And the crazy thing about that is they didn't even know for months you know, and then like the food supply and the food deserts yeah, and the absolutely. and the fake light and the and all of these things add up, and people wonder why New York City and New Jersey had worse death rate, worse death worse death rates. Yeah. I know other natural medical doctors understand absolutely. it's these idiots in the mainstream media who can't put these pieces of the puzzle together. No, they actually praise those places that they did a good job. For some reason, <laughs> upside down world. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's, it's absolutely madness. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, one of the saving graces of this time is it's, you know, it, when we are in a state of chaos or think when things are just so absurd, people, it doesn't make sense. There are people who are just, who are awakening to, okay, so we need to go in a new direction. Something's not right. So that's yeah, been the benefit of very it. Quickly. You know? But my very question quickly. has always been for a long time, whether it's this or whether it's someone's psychological state, physical health, you know, just caring about their life in general, their relationships, et cetera. Why does it always have to go to a point of disaster? I haven't quite figured that out yet. I'm still working on that one, but I think it's part of life. We need it. We need it to have a contrast so we can move from it and grow. Perhaps that's the answer, but I'm still working on that one. <laughs> right. I know what you mean. Yeah. So, you know, how can people stay engaged with you and continue to learn about their health? They should sign up for my newsletter because my newsletter is where I put, uh, I can't be candid with my opinions on social media at this point. And so I really put what I think is most important into my newsletter. I also realized that one of my prescriptions for people is to like unplug from their social media because I, I see how toxic it is to their mentality. I don't have my, I don't have Facebook or Instagram on my phone. I, I stopped using Twitter I don't use LinkedIn. I really, when I'm publishing stuff, it's all on Facebook and Instagram because that's where the people who need me are. But they really ought to sign up for my newsletter because way better information is there and it's all super digestible. Uh, and, you know, my, my media feeds, I try, I do my best to be uplifting and positive and spread information that is truly actionable and helpful and constructive. But I also know that the algorithms are burying me because I'm not creating addictive content. I'm not creating content that gets people to scroll more and open their phone more. And so the best thing for people to do is sign up for my newsletter. Okay. Yeah. I'll definitely uh, share the links to where they can find that and your content and et cetera. And, you know, a question I always ask everyone, it's what does being a human mean to you? That's so profound. How much more time do we have? Um, uh, wow. Um, well, you know, I'm a Christian, and so uh, it it does come back to that. I'm here to help other people and follow the example set down by Jesus Christ. And I think that's the long and the short of it. Okay, fair enough. And what would you say to someone that serves vast numbers, that wants to serve vast numbers of people? Hmm. Uh, focus. Uh, Einstein said, uh, he said something like, strive not so much to be a success, but rather to be of value. Hmm. 
You need to provide value to people. And people think that what they think is valuable is valuable. And they're just not paying attention to what people are actually telling them. Yeah, no, that's huge. You know, value, yeah. when we value ourselves, the world will value us and how are we providing value to others. That was a great right. quote that you just shared from Einstein. He was a smart yeah. dude. Yeah, he was. Yeah. A lot of people need to look into him. <laughs> he said so many great quotes. Yeah, and the irony quotes. about his quotes is like, like he, like most scientists, was very skeptical of any kind of mainstream ideas in science. Um, he said something particularly apropos of the current situation. He said, those who appoint themselves the arbiters of the truth are shipwrecked on the laughter of the gods. Wow. How fitting yeah. that is for the time we and are It's so now. poetic too. I mean, <laughs> I couldn't come up with something like that. And I like to think I'm pretty creative. Right, yeah, that was brilliant. I think we're going to leave it at that. So All right. Thank, thank you again, Dr. Stillman, for your time. It was a fantastic conversation. I'm sh- as you mentioned about value, I'm sure a lot of people will get value out of this. And I look forward to continued conversation down the line hopefully in a more lighter scenario in our world. But having said that, you know, we'll continue with our mission and we'll talk to you again soon sometime. Thank you for your time again. Keep in touch. Thanks for having me.